so many things we have. Mobile phones, laptops, computers, guitars, electric vehicles, fridges, and more. All of that stuff needs something that comes from Mike. Folks, we're on the west coast of the South Island. We're out in the Rimu Flats, one of the biggest alluvial gold mining resources in the country. There's 25 men working up here, probably nine gold screens, and between six and ten million dollars worth of equipment. That's a triple seven coal truck coming down here. We've got a hundred tonne of coal on. The world's actually on the verge of a mining boom, and the reason for that is the renewable energy and the highly electric future we're moving to is very uh, intense on minerals, mined minerals. The Labour government was all about pulling back on it, but made no progress. There will be no new mines on conservation land. That was six years ago, and it still hasn't happened. And the incoming government wants a change of direction. Well, look, I mean, it's a key part of our, our economy. Um, we'll do that in a sensitive way that balances all those interests, economic and environmental. This, while challenges to mining expansions continue. Anti-mining groups, ours not mines, is fighting Hauraki District Council on a permit it's giving a mining company, Oceana Gold. It would let the company build mining infrastructure on what's called a paper road, a road drawn on a map that doesn't physically exist, that runs through dock land. Kia I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, where are we at with mining, and is there any way to mine sensitively? Isabel Ewing is News Hub's climate correspondent. She's been following the latest legal clash. I was at the Hamilton Court covering this court case which has just begun between Owls Not Mines, which is an anti-mining group, and they are taking the Hauraki District Council to court over a permit that the council has given to Oceana Gold, which is a mining company which has, as we have heard in the news for many years has been mining for gold in, in Waihe. The density of this court case is, is pretty hard to convey for any journo and Vitaly especially. So the gist of it, though, is pretty simple. The Farikiroponga Forest Park, which is tucked in the hills behind Whangamata and Waihe Beach, there is a proposed mine underneath that area. Now, Oceana Gold wants to mine gold. They're sort of wrapping up their operations at Martha Mine, which is at Waihi, and they are now eyeing up this big, what they estimate to be, I think it's $1.8 billion worth of gold under that forest park. And so that's okay because it's it's underneath. Their, their operations aren't going to be on the surface of the ground. Conveniently for Oceana Gold, because they do need some infrastructure on the surface, they found a paper road which is... Essentially, I didn't know on the morning when I <laughs> went to the court case. My camera operator had to explain it to me, actually. It's essentially a legal road which exists on a map but doesn't exist physically. It's sort of a, a road that can be potentially used at some point, but as the lawyers said in court, it's indistinguishable from the surrounding bush. So, so you can, wouldn't notice it. Yeah. You wouldn't notice it. And and I haven't actually been on it myself. I've talked to locals who say you can walk on it, but it, it's not, you know, a full-on road. That entire forest park that they want to mine underneath uh, is, is owned by Doc and this tiny paper road is sitting there and they decided to go on the paper road for their licence, which seems strange at best. 
And so Oceana Gold discovered that instead of applying through dock to build mining infrastructure, which includes these five air vents on dock land... The last thing I want to see is four big mining vents and infrastructure there. It's just out of place there. They can do it on this paper road, which means that they only need to get a permit from Hauraki District Council. So that is the issue that Ours Not Mines has with it. They're saying, here's this whole dock estate, high ecological values in Ponga Forest Park, and conveniently, the place where the mining company wants to build their infrastructure is on this little narrow paper road which is actually operated by the council. It's land set aside for the public to enjoy and it's land set aside to protect our flora and fauna which is very special and it shouldn't be messed around with. The permit lasts for 40 years and it's a dollar a year that the mining company pays to the council for that permit. A dollar a year? A dollar it a year. It ain't much. It ain't much. <laughs> and that is what Morgan Donoghue from Ours Not Mines says. It'll be a dollar a year licence over 40 years, so the council will make nothing out of this. Especially when you look at what they estimate to be underneath when they will mine there for the gold, $1.8 billion worth. And if you look at the royalties that the Crown will get from that, that's 2%. And so Morgan Donoghue from Ours Not Mine says, well, you know, Kiwis are getting roughly $35 million from this, whereas the, the profits that will be made could be around $1.7 billion. OK, well, thank you for explaining it simply. Uh, that's exactly what we want. So where is it exactly through the court process? So the hearing started on... Monday and I think ran through Tuesday, just two days, and they expect the judgment to be delivered sometime early next year. What will happen if it's not in the council's favour? So if it doesn't go in the council's favour, the company would then need to go and apply for permission from DOC, and that process is, as you would imagine, um, much more involved. Do you know much about um, at Whara what conservation status is it in? Like, what I mean by that is, does it have any endangered species, anything like that? Certainly it does. It has a creature that many of us, most of us, will probably never see in our lives. It's the Archie's frog, which is one of the oldest frogs on Earth. It lives in the bush up there. Uh, It's one of very few areas that this frog lives. I haven't actually walked through the bush, but I've spoken to a local who spends a lot of time around there, and she says that it's just beautiful, pristine, native bush. This frog lives there. Um, No doubt other birds and other species live there. This comes at a time where there's quite a bit of controversy around the mining industry. Uh, with an incoming government coming in that might be a bit more supportive of the mining industry. But the changes over the last six years under Labor, what have we seen? We have seen, firstly in 2017, a promise from, it's called the speech from the throne. That the Governor-General gives, yeah. Yeah. There will be no new mines on conservation land. 
that is essentially the the government, the new government, laying out their promises to the voters and what they plan to achieve during their term. And one of those promises that Jacinda Ardern made was no new mines on conservation land. And this has been something that Jacinda Ardern's been passionate about for many, many years. I remember doing stories on this and we found archive footage of Jacinda marching in Queen Street against new mines, you know, 10 years before she was Prime Minister. So that promise was made in 2017. And then the Labour government sort of began the process of trying to fulfil that promise. It wasn't done in their first term of government. They blamed uh, Winston Peters, who obviously he has a lot of support from the mining industry and especially on the West Coast. And so he was they, they blamed him for not getting much progress done there. Then Winston Peters was no longer involved in the second term and still the progress was stalled. Now, the reason that I've been given when I've covered this story from the Labour government and from Jacinda Ardern in the past is that they were going through a process which is the reclassifying of stewardship land. One of the issues we've had to work through, though, is the way that stewardship land is treated uh, because it sits in a bit of a grey zone. Now, stewardship land is part of the Dock estate. It makes up about 30% of the entire conservation land in New Zealand, 9% of the whole country. But it's kind of this land which is in this sort of statutory holding pen because it has some protections but not specific protections. I think there was an example in Canterbury where there was some land swapped out to become part of a a ski field operation. So it doesn't have specific protections. And so the former Labor government wanted to go through this process of, of reclassifying it because there are actually areas of it that have high conservation value and need to have better protection. Right. That ran into issues because there was political arguments over how much conservation value certain areas of stewardship land have. I've covered the story pretty consistently over that time, and we have just had the same same excuse from the government that they're going through the process of reclassifying stewardship land. Now, environmental advocates that I've spoken to have said that is just total hogwash because you could put a moratorium on new mines on conservation land in the meantime, whilst you went through that process of the reclassification. The faffing about with the stewardship review goes on, more mining companies are getting access to Dockland. The Labour government started to try and sort of make some progress in terms of protecting certain areas of stewardship land, but that promise that Jacinda Ardern made in 2017 hasn't been fulfilled and and new mines on conservation land have been approved since then. And then Chris Hipkins said during the election campaign that they were still interested in that. The Labour Party remains committed to that policy. There are still uh, a couple of bits that we're working through. One is around um, the access to Pornamu, um, particularly with Naitahu. But obviously it doesn't look like he's going to be in power. (laughs) No, it's fallen by the wayside. And, And also, you know, we see conservation, the portfolio of conservation tends to get given to ministers that are further down the ranks. We traditionally haven't seen conservation given what many environmental groups would say is the importance and the priority that it deserves. And heading into this new government, we heard Christopher Luxon say he supports mining on conservation land if it is sensitive mining. 
I spoke to Catherine Delahunty outside court about this. You can imagine what she had to say. And so she, is she sorry again? Catherine Delahunty is a former Green MP and she is a Coromandel watchdog, which is an anti-mining group. So Catherine Delahunty said Christopher Luxon saying that sensitive mining is okay, is an oxymoron because there's no such thing, she says, as sensitive mining. Now, this is going to be really tricky for Christopher Luxon because he needs to balance what is, you know, the ACT Party and New Zealand First's coalition partners very keen to mine down on the West Coast because that region is crying out for an economic boost. What are you all hoping for with the change of government? Well, we're just hoping for um, things to, to boom with the employment, open up some of the mines. There's thousands of tonnes of coal up there and we need to get it out. It does need it. Nobody can argue that. But the problem is balancing mining, and he calls it sensitive mining, with the need to protect our biodiversity, the, the need to protect certain areas of land, you know, the stewardship land, which some people may view as not high conservation value, still has value in that we need to be restoring native forest, according to the Climate Change Commission. They say we need to be restoring something like 300,000 hectares of native forest between now and 2035 in order to mitigate and adapt to the effects of climate change. So even if there are these areas of stewardship land which are not perhaps you know, full of native species and, and wonderfully biodiverse, they could be used to either be restored as wetlands, as carbon sinks, or as native forest, as the Climate Change Commission recommends. Now, back to the topic of mining in a sensitive way. Do you believe mining can be done sensitively? Yes, I do. This is David Bell. He's been teaching mining and engineering geology at the University of Canterbury for over 50 years. Prior to that, I worked in the mining industry for about 10 years, so I have a reasonable knowledge of what goes on. I keep in close touch with various mining companies. Engineering geology is, is really about the engineering applications, the geological influences on engineering. In other words, hazards are part of it. Construction materials are another. The uh, basics of how you excavate and stabilise cuts and things of that sort are also a key part. And what sparks your interest in mining? Why are you so interested in it? Mining is one of the fundamental requirements for society. We have to provide raw materials. We have to have enough material to meet various demands. And we have to do that in a sane and sensible way. Would we be able to get on in society without it? No, you wouldn't, because you've got to have various uh, materials, whether that's sort of a hard rock quarry providing uh, aggregate for your roads. I mean, that that's a very obvious one. And then coal mining provides material uh, which will be useful for, in the case of New Zealand coal from the South Island, coking coal. And that becomes a key part of the uh, steel industry. So let's talk about how we can mine sensitively and what the smartest way to do that is. The smartest way to do doing it, you're going to have your regulations for a start. And so you have to have careful administration of the mining regulations. You're not going in there and ripping things out without having a long-term plan 
to rehabilitate the site afterwards. So can you give me an example of that? Oh, well, I mean, I think if, if we look at places like uh, Stockton, if we look at uh, what's happening in the South Island at McRae's, the operations are then rehabilitated and the land, although it, uh, the land use will change, uh, you have that uh, option you, and you have it, things well set up to allow uh, future land use whether it's rural or whatever. Yes, so McRae's is an open pit mine, right? Yes. And if you have an open pit mine, how can you rehabilitate the land? You're going to have the series of benches. Those benches are going to be typically at about 15 metre vertical separation. The benches will be seven, eight metres wide at the conclusion of the mining operation, and you will then be able to plant those out, uh, the benches out, and that will provide a degree of um, restoration. You might have to just explain to me what benches are, sorry David. Benches are flat surfaces which you cut during the mining operation. So if you need a flat surface to run your trucks on and uh, you then have a, a batter behind that which you'll cut at whatever angle uh, is stable or appropriate. So you have a bench and batter step, in other words a series of steps going up the hill. Or down the hill, as the case may be. What about some other options? I th- underground is a bit more environmentally friendly, isn't it, rather than open pit mining? It, it's significantly more environmentally friendly. It's about four to five times the cost. Oh, OK, OK. Why is it more environmentally friendly to do it underground? Providing you don't have uh, subsidence. I mean, th- there are issues with, with underground mining as well, and you may have... Uh, ground collapse, which is called subsidence. So that is a possibility. Okay, so you might have the subsidence, but why is it generally more environmentally friendly than doing an open pit mine? Well, I think it is because it has less uh, surface impact and therefore less evidence for the mining operation. I was having a look at some statistics from the Massachusetts um, Institute of Technology, which has done some research into this, and it said 73% of extracted rock goes to waste when you mine something from the open pit versus underground mining, which is only wastes 7%. Quite a stark difference. Yeah, I think that depends very much what you're talking about, however. Mm. I mean, if you're taking it out of the surface, you're taking out what we call overburden, which is the waste rock above the uh, the ore body. And so it depends on how thick uh, that waste rock is, and then you need to uh, find a home for that. So that becomes a key part. Underground, you have, you're extracting less waste material. That's quite true, because mm. you're focusing on uh, what you need to recover, and you're designing your underground mine to access uh, the key parts of the ore body. Would underground mining have any impact on the state of the environment, you know, on the ground level? Like, you know, it can, it can well, do. Yeah. It can, subsidence can occur. One of the ways you can limit or avoid that uh, is to actually backfill the, uh, the what we call the stope, the area from which valuable material is extracted. Um, but again, that's an added cost. So, it, you know, it all comes back to economics at the end of the day. Any other tips for mining 
sustainably or environmentally friendly mining? The key thing uh, today, and in, in probably in the last 30-odd years, is that the mining industry has uh, decided that we can no longer operate in, in uh, a fashion where we simply go and extract what we want and walk away from a site. Everything has to be planned in such a way that at the end of the day, there is uh, land which is restored, uh, whether that's got forest on it, whether it's got pine trees on it. Uh, this is a matter that has to be set up at the beginning. And so I think it's the forward planning and the requirement on the consenting authority to ensure that these matters are addressed uh, in a responsible way. Christopher Luxon's got a big, you know, he has got this balancing act between the mining industry who are very keen, of course, to try to progress, you know, this this gold mine in Waihee and other mining interests on the West Coast and trying to balance that with protection, adequate protection of conservation land. Hey, when, you, when you talk about the West Coast, that went blue, this election, Maureen Pugh mm. took over that electorate. So, yeah, there's a lot of resentment, I feel, on that particular area, you know. Absolutely, there is. And and you can understand it. I mean, I my dad's from Hokitika and I have family down there and it is one of the most beautiful parts of the country. But mm. it is really struggling through COVID, you know, tourism, you know, that's its main its main earner. Uh, and then mining, if we were to be more permissive and, and giving mining permits in the West Coast, then that would be a boost for those areas. But we have a lot to uh, also protect as we move into a future where fossil fuels are no longer, that, that that path is not one that we want to continue down. And obviously if Labor's ban had been put in, the ban on no new mining and conservation land, we wouldn't even be having this discussion in the Coromandel. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we wouldn't have anything to talk about. And I mean, I have to say, you know, it's uh, – I, I, I know I said earlier that, you know, Jacinda Ardern, I do believe she did mean for that promise to be kept. But it degrades the speech from the throne a little when you've got a promise that's being made and – it, you know, how many years on are we from 2017 and that promise hasn't been fulfilled? It's sort of, you know, the trust that people have in politicians isn't exactly ex- exactly soaring. And, and for, you know, a promise like this to be made, how can we really expect for politicians to have the trust of, you know, voters when it's clear that this promise is likely not going to be kept? That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Mark Chesterman. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Isabel Ewing and David Bell. Hey, Kornar.